the demolished world has certainly recycled materials very well um, and continues to do so. But what we're talking about with this report is not just recycling in terms of breaking down those components and taking steel back to um, a smelting plant where it can be remelted down and reused. We're about repurposing those materials. And by the demolition world, perhaps should start to think of itself more as a reclamation industry. And I do see that as a, an opportunity uh, for the demolition world. And I think those that are going to be at the forefront of that discussion come debate will be the successful companies of the future. giant Mace has just published a new report entitled Closing the Circle, in which it lays out its hopes and fears, plans and aspirations for a sustainable construction industry of tomorrow. Refreshingly, while some within the built environment seem keen to push demolition to the very edge of acceptability, Mace believes that demolition still has a vital role to play, but it also suggests that that role might require some fundamental change. I called up with Jed Simmons, Managing Director of Macy's Offices Division, to find out more. And I started by asking him what prompted Mace to produce this detailed report in the first place. I think our industry's changed um, quite considerably in the last, the last three or four years, really, um, in terms of the, the increasing awareness of the impact we have uh, upon the environment um, and, and I suppose the opportunities that exist within that for us to make a difference. The report really focused around the, the, the sort of direction of travel, which seems to be obviously around the embodied carbon and how we reduce the embodied carbon. And circularity seems the very natural step about how we actually use less materials to produce the same sort of product. So it's something we're quite passionate about as an organization, um, trying, to, trying to make a difference, particularly when it comes to carbon. And circularity is that hot topic where we think we've got some good ideas and thoughts that will hopefully stimulate further debates in the industry. I'm going to come back to that whole idea of circularity and embodied carbon in just a second, but your your report is very much focused on the London market. Obviously, London, the construction industry in the UK is very London-centric, but why why did you choose to focus upon London? I suppose for several reasons. Um, firstly, it's very much where our construction business is, so it's obviously something very close to home to us. Um, but equally, I think we, we certainly view the London market as quite a mature market in the real estate and construction world. And by by that, I mean we have very warm, educated clients that are committed to London. Um, they are very aware of the direct travel, be it from government as well as pressures within society. I think we have a very skilled and capable construction industry, um, right through the supply chain, designers, all those sort of parties that are involved with that are, are really quite informed um, individuals. So I think we felt it was a good place where, where we could actually have this debate, discussion, and make a meaningful impact um, with people who want to be on this journey with us. One of the things that struck me about uh, when I was reading the report is the fact that you've really taken a very, very big step backwards to to look at the wider issues that we're, we're facing. And there's even new terms that you're using around this, one of which is circularity materials banks. What are circularity materials banks and how do they differ from you know the, the, the recycling centres that we're seeing in, in active use among the demolition industry at the moment? So it is a concept or an idea, and it is in part based around those sort of material banks that exist already. But I think the, the sort of the, the idea and the utopia about this is that as the as the industry matures in this space, we're going to need somewhere where these materials can be gathered when we deconstruct buildings, and then obviously be it sort of adapted or repurposed, and then actually sent back out to projects again. So 
you know, the thought process behind this, we did debate and we, we still do very much see this as a conversation, is whether there be central material banks where multiples of different materials come to those central points, or perhaps where we were starting to land a bit more with our thinking was around that we have a, a very sophisticated and educated supply chain who are experts within relevant materials, and they are probably better placed to hold those materials. So steel companies deal with steel and stone companies deal with stone. They could take them, hold those materials, and potentially then repurpose those materials um, and then obviously send them back out to the same projects or, or future projects, really. And there are some great examples of where this has actually started to happen in places like Northern Europe. Um, you know, one example is like Road to Deconstruct, um, who are a fairly uh, recent example, I suppose, but where they're actually gathering those materials and then they're setting up something very similar to, uh, I suppose, an Amazon-type website where they advertise those materials available. This is in a small scale at the moment. And obviously, people then can go on that website and actually buy them. Um, so it is the start of a journey, and I think we've seen some small examples, things like steelwork, like we said a, a second ago, that's um, already a maturity space, but we see great opportunity for other materials, again, to be taken back to these banks, repurposed, and then sent back out to projects again. Putting my demolition hat on, one of the things that the demolition industry has been coming for for quite some time is this kind of like an end-of-life directive for the materials. Yeah. And one of the concerns within demolition has been the fact that um, specifiers and architects are now specifying a lot of kind of composite materials and materials that are not quite so straightforward to to uh, recycle. You've mentioned steel and, and stone. Absolutely fine. We can deal with that all day long. But when you get into some of these more advanced composite materials and that kind of thing, that's not so straightforward. So that circularity kind of needs to begin and end with you guys, doesn't it? It does in part, and it's also designers are obviously a massive part of this. Um, I mean, you make a very interesting point that we often talk about circularity in terms of being that when a product comes to the end of its life. But of course, the circularity discussion does start right at the very beginning of it. And, and that can be something as simple as about how you might be able to design buildings so that elements of it can be deconstructed at a future um, date. It's about exactly your point around, I suppose, you know, which materials could be repurposed and reused at a future date but also about how designs can be designed in such a way that, like I said, they can be adapted during their actual life so that we avoid the need for wholesale uh, demolition of buildings and you're actually able to repurpose those buildings during their life, which also feeds into the discussion around circularity. So I don't think we just see it purely as um, an end-of-life material type uh, issue. It's very much about the whole process and the life of a building from, from its sort of concept right the way through to... Uh, at the end of its first, second, or third, or fourth life, maybe. That brings us on to another term that you've coined in this report, which is materials passports. Um, I'll get you to explain that in just a second, but I, I, I was on the very early stages of the HS2 project down at Old Oak Common, and that was kind of what they were doing there. You know, any materials taken out of there, they were batched and they were labelled and everything else. What is the, the, the thinking behind materials passports? Well, the way we design um, very much today is in a, a sort of virtual world. So we design in the 3D, 4D models, and that, that's been common for a long time in our industry. And of course, each of those components, uh, design, uh, sort of individual material parts, ha have um, a whole series of data that sits alongside it. Historically, that's sort of been around performance data or size of material. But equally, we have the ability to actually be more intelligent within that, and we can put in information about the material itself. So by that mean where it's sourced, I suppose, in terms of uh, the various component elements, really, what it, how it might perform as an actual material itself. And the idea is that um, these these models will live with the building during its life. And then when, therefore, it comes to the end of it, be it its first life or second life of building, 
you're able to then actually understand the individual elements that sit within that building and not spend a lot of time trying to suppose, work out what you've actually got within um, the building already. You've got that database of intelligence that sits around each of the individual components. I guess that's kind of like a, an extension of BIM, really, isn't it? It's, you know, the, the sort of everything that goes into that building. It is very much an extension of that. It's just the next natural step, really. Um, and the models are, you know, incredibly clever now. You can do all sorts with them. And we just see this as just another part of uh, that model, really. It's, it's just to show that people understand the elements that sit in that building. I'm struck by the fact that this whole embodied carbon and carbon reduction thing is very much a, a notion of carrot and stick. Um, before we came on air, we were talking about the, the cancellation of the um, demolition of the Marks and Spencer flagship store on London's Oxford Street, which was very much the stick approach. One of the things that you have in mind in, in the uh, Closing the Circle report is the carrot approach, which is an accreditation scheme. Take me through that. How do you see that working? Well, I think in the moment there's, you know, obviously the way the government taxes things is different on projects. So a lot of the retrofit does attract um, VAT at the moment. And, and one of the sort of thoughts or ideas behind it is whether governments are able to incentivize um, a different way of building so that one of it may be through something like uh, how they deal with VAT on existing assets. But equally, there may be other incentive mechanisms that they could put in place, which would encourage um, clients, owners of assets, to look at their projects differently rather than perhaps going straight for the idea of knocking a building down. And, and I appreciate there's all sorts of things being debated around you know, carbon taxes, and that may well one day be the answer. Um, but we were just saying that if we wish to move in this direction, rather than it constantly being a stick, there should actually be a carrot involved there as well, because it certainly, uh, in my own experience, people respond far more favorably to an incentive than they do to a penalty. Totally agree. Now, as I say, I do cover this from a demolition angle. And demolition is a key contributor of materials as we stand at the moment. And they are past masters at recycling. You know, average recycling rate on a UK demolition project is somewhere between 95 and 98%. But it does appear to be this very vocal lobby that seems to be keen to push demolition to the very sidelines of acceptability to protect embodied carbon. What does your... Um, circularity report make of this whole retro first movement and do you see demolition still making an active role in years to come i very much think that the the demolition issue is a very active role within our um the way we can move forward uh, and you know maybe my own viewpoint but certainly as i've talked quite vocally about before is that the, the demolition world perhaps should start to think of itself more as a reclamation industry um, or deconstruction industry because that is in large part what uh, the demolition world is starting to move towards and I think there'll be a huge part to play in how we then treat those materials. Because, and um, to your point, you know, with the the demolished world has certainly recycled materials very well um, and continues to do so. But what we're talking about with this report is not just recycling in terms of breaking down those components and taking steel back to um, a smelting plant where it can be remelted down and reused. We're on about repurposing those materials, and by that I mean perhaps keeping them in their current form, but then uh, being able to clean them up, uh, you know, adapt them as may be appropriate, and then bring them back as whole components rather than just being recycled components. And I do see that as a, an opportunity uh, for the demolition world. And I think those that are going to be at the forefront of that discussion come debate will be the successful companies of the future. And maybe there's a bit of rebranding has to go on as part of that, and like I say, refer to itself more as reclamation contractors or deconstructors rather than just pure demolition, because that in part perhaps because it's the uh, process sometimes tainted view from the non-educated. It's interesting you should say that, because I mean there are some companies in the UK demolition industry, and I'm thinking Arcolard down in um, Hampshire as one, 
you know, they, they've staked their entire reputation on their ability to, to take a building apart. And, and they, they literally look at a, at a demolition project, not as a demolition project, but what can I do with all the materials we get, we gather back from that. But then I guess that brings us back to the whole circularity thing. It, as it stands at the moment, the way that a building, let's use steel as an example, the way that a building is erected, the only way properly to take that apart generally is to cut that steel and to, to take it down in small chunks. Whereas, you know, if you're talking about preserving that entire steel beam or, what, or steel truss or whatever it might be, we'd have to start maybe fixing them in a different way and then maybe adopting new techniques to erect and to dismantle as well. It's going to be a big job, isn't it? It is, and that will possibly in part be an evolution. Um, I think we've all got to be realistic that this is not going to all happen overnight. But to your very point, there are some real live examples here in London now of where um, the demolition companies have taken down sections of the steel frame uh, in a piece format. Those pieces then be taken away, cleaned up, tested, repurposed, and then going back into new buildings within London. And that's the thing we're sort of really trying to encourage in this this document discussion, say that there needs to be more of that. And it may well take slightly longer to take a building down, and that has to be probably recognised in part by clients, and it may be more expensive to take a building down. But hopefully on the flip side then is ultimately within the fullness of time, those materials will become cheaper as that market matures because you've already dealt with components that are being fabricated. And obviously, again, you know, the carbon part is, is also has a value in its own right. So I think that's, again, something that we see clients focusing more and more on. You and I spoke briefly before we actually started recording about um, your own personal attitude to this year. It's all very well, I think, putting out these reports. And, I, I, you know, I admire Macy's work in doing it. I'm sure it cost a lot of money. It took a lot of time and everything else. But reports are one thing. And, and actually walking the walk and talking the talk are often two different things. But you, you said, you know, you were... As a person, as a, as a private individual, you've really bought into this whole sustainability thing. Yeah, very much so. And it's something I suppose, you know, I've been aware of for many years. I, I, I sort of live in the countryside. Um, and therefore, I, I have seen firsthand some of the impacts that we as people have had upon um, the world we live in. And so it's something I've always been aware of. But there's no doubt in the last four or five years, as I've become more educated about these things, that my life, my own personal lifestyle has started to change. So Sometimes it can be very simple things, just like eating less red meat. And, you know, I do still eat meat, but I eat certainly far less than I used to. And that's from an environmental perspective. Um, but equally, uh, you know, I get involved with conservation projects at home. And, you know, I've got a, a small area where I'm actively involved with actually um, rewilding that piece of land at the moment. And it's something, again, that is a, is a personal passion. You know, I do less flights than I ever used to. And certainly when I do fly, offset those flights. And I think, to a very point, I think, you know, those people who truly believe in making a difference are the ones that, um, from a business point of view, are going to be sort of living those values and they'll be recognised for it in the fullness of time. So I guess the, the final point then is where can viewers and listeners get a copy of the report? Uh, you, it's available on our website uh, to, to download. So if you Google Mace Group, uh, you'll be able to find it on there and you'll be able to download a copy um, from there as well. So hopefully yeah, people are able to do that and uh, enjoy the reading of it. Uh, comments are always welcome. So we're not saying we're getting everything right on this, but hopefully we're stimulating some thinking with some meaningful facts that sit within the report.